Hello and welcome to Career Move Secrets, a brand new podcast for active job seekers and the career-minded. In each episode, I'll interview a special guest from my global network. Guests will include seasoned recruiters, experienced hiring managers from companies big and small, and successful individuals who have developed great careers through making great career moves. My aim is to uncover and share my guests' unique perspectives, their insights, and their insider advice on job searching, interviewing, and career enhancement. My name is Tony Talbot, and I've been working in the recruitment industry as an international headhunter for over 20 years. I'm the creator of CareerMoveSecrets.com, a step-by-step online course for job seekers that I designed to be the ultimate guide to getting hired in the hidden job market. I will add my perspective to the conversation, and together with my guests, we hope to provide some genuine, actionable insider advice that will help you execute your next career move. Thanks for joining us today. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Career Move Secrets. And today's guest is Marianne Kilpatrick, the founder of Kios Limited. Marianne is an award-winning leader in the transport consulting industry, a market that she has worked in for the last 30 years. Hi, Marianne. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Tony. How are things with you? I'm just about coping, yes. I think... uh, yeah, we're we're out of lockdown now, aren't we? But we were talking off air about maybe having a pint at some stage. I've managed one, but there's uh, one or two. But yeah, it's still it's still a weird world out there. How, how about it, things with you? Yeah, very much the same. I think um, I think we haven't really unlocked ourselves. We we did manage to have a pint, <clears throat> excuse me, at the weekend, but it was unexpected and uh, and very nice and sat in a nice pub garden in the country. But uh, yeah, we're still uh, finding our way through this. I think. I think we all are, aren't we? Yeah, it's uh, still still very strange times. Um, well, we've obviously bumped into each other many, many years ago and had a bit of interaction since so we know each other re- relatively well, but of course the listeners don't. So could you give me um, a quick sort of potted history of your career, Marianne? Okay. So I'm, I, I think I'm relatively unusual in that I still do the thing that I did as a degree. So oh. I am a transport planner and economist by training. I did a business degree with transport as my major. And I started work, my business career, um, as a consultant, and I still am a consultant. So again, I've uh, seen it all the way through. So I I would definitely see myself as a career consultant in the transport space. So I've worked in most modes. I've done most kinds of um, economics, business case, transport planning type assignments. Um, But latterly, I'm most known for working in the rail industry um, I've done a lot of international work, um, uh, have worked a lot in developing countries. Um, uh, I think my CV now says I've worked in 27 countries worldwide, so <clears throat> a fairly broad reach. Um, and I'm definitely now, um, I would, when the elevator pitch, when somebody stops me in the street and says, what do you do? I would say management consultant in the transport space. I now have, um, I've worked for four major consultancies um, that we most know in the UK. I've worked for the World Bank and I've now um, in the last six months have gone independent. So uh, it's a different chapter now. Yes, very much so. And you, and you were, you know, you obviously developed the career through the last role was, was really quite a senior role. Um, you know, certainly looked that way from, from the outside in that you, you know, manage big groups of people and um, integrations of various different teams. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about that period as well. 
So, yes, and um, I joined SNC Lavalan Transport Advisory in December 2011. And um, and in 2015, took over as the MD of that business. We'd grown it. Uh, there were three directors, um, four key founders, um, and we had grown it for, I think I was the fourth employee, and it was 25 people. Um, by the time uh, I took over, I was one of about 20 people, I think, when I took over in 2015 from Rufus Boyd. And we, we didn't, he didn't leave. We just shifted hats uh, slightly because um, our, we realised our strengths were um, Rufus is great at, at startup and ideas, but I'm I'm great at seeing things through the uh, we describe it as the difficult teenagers, the sort of the transition uh, from being a tiny business to being a small business. Um, and then uh, once um, SNC Lavalan acquired Atkins in 2017, um, I then saw the integration of my advisory business through. Um, acquiring we we tripled in size essentially mm. uh, we went to 80 people and quite diverse um, businesses but very much um, around advisory mostly in transport there was a little um, bit on <coughs> excuse me on carbon uh, carbon agenda um, and developing countries um, but then yes yeah, so I saw that through to October last year so I yes I did have a pretty senior role and I certainly was seen as a leader and I think that's the the differential is going from being a manager to a leader. There are different behaviours that you need, and that's defining that 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 seniority comes from not being the person who's always managing, but is is defining strategy and working on the bringing people with you to help deliver, rather than yeah doing the the hard numbers management end of it. <laughs> and so you. I, I guess you were responsible for for hiring uh, during that period um, and and bringing people into the business, um, which of course is you know potentially interesting for, for for my listeners in that they're all out there trying to trying to find a job at the moment. What what were your experiences like as a hiring manager? Did you did you have a uh, you know a particular um, process that you followed? I'm guessing these guys only got to see you towards the end. So. Um I think that's, it's, it is challenging uh, when you are a small business in a big business and there are corporate procedures that get um, put into play that you struggle to find your way around. And especially we were a really small advisory business and that wasn't the same as the rest of the business. So um, our hiring managers, our talent pool I mean, almost to the point where on the drop down list, when you're trying to create the process, didn't have a job title that fitted the types of people that we were trying to to recruit. So it was incredibly hard for us to um, use the formal process to get access to the right people. So because it's largely engineers that they recruit, it was largely engineers that would the CVs that we'd get. So we had to use kind of two we got quite good at kind of guerrilla recruitment I'd say we we used the process and then I'd work with our in-house talent guy who's very good a guy called Ben Sutcliffe um help him understand what our business was the types of people that we needed um I'd spent a lot of time Ben and I spent a lot of time going through the types of assignments we work on and why they're not engineers 
<laughs> and why they might be financial or why they might be management consultants and or strategic thinkers. So, and then we would also find, use our own networks to find people. And if we found people through our own networks that we wanted to bring in, um, we would then backfill them into the process in order to, to get them through, through. And we're working with people like you. So I think our relationships with people who really understand our business um, was was probably the most important factor, whether they were in-house talent people or whether they were external recruiters. Guerrilla recruitment. I like that terminology. I'm, 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 I'm officially stealing that now, Marianne, for you. <laughs> uh, and I think, do you know, it's something I talk a lot about on in, in my course is that sort of, you know, there are often big companies have processes, but there are a way of there are ways of getting around those processes. And funnily enough, I always think it's interesting that hiring managers themselves often want to get around the process because the process doesn't always work. Mm. It doesn't always deliver uh, what you want it to deliver. Um, and and there's you know there are there's more than one way to uh, skin a cat. I guess is the is the old sort of adage. It's you, there are different ways you can do things. Um, when when you had to go out and find th- people through your network, um, how did that work? Did, was was that sort of putting the word out? Were you using LinkedIn? What what, what were you doing particularly there? All of it. I mean, I'd have to say, I think I don't know if it's because I was in a different role and and you know I became a leader and ha- was more responsible for it. Uh, but I also think the world has changed in say the past five six years about how we get our information so Mm. um, you asked me before we started recording to think about how I'd got my previous jobs Um, and I think some of those methods still exist it was I mean network was absolutely key but um, I wrote letters Mm. I, I remember my first ever job I probably wrote to 20 or 30 people I know graduates having to write to hundreds of people these days but um just to say what I've done, write my CV, and then eventually somebody took pity on me and through that network got me, you know, I got introduced to other people and got that's how I got my job. So when I was recruiting in a position of recruiting, it was all, we hit it hard on all channels. It's, it's very much like winning work. Um, winning bodies into your business is has the same level of effort as going and winning your next assignment because you've got to be very specific about what you want. You want to have a good choice of candidates, the numbers of people that you get. We wanted diversity as well. You know, I'm passionate about trying to increase um, the diversity in the team. I mean, I don't think I was particularly successful at it, but I really wanted to try. Um, and uh, so we did LinkedIn. We did more promotional videos about what we were as a business to try and encourage, uh, get the visibility. I mean, and yeah, I think I think they went hand in hand in growing our brand. Actually, that the the our we couldn't differentiate between growing our brand as for business development purposes and growing our brand as an employer. So we hit our networks. I had quite a lot of coffees and dinners with potential people in my network who I might have wanted to steal from other places Um, or certainly, and also to to kind of, I think, get a clearer idea of what those competencies and characteristics and maybe values of people that we wanted to get into the business. Because TA definitely is a small business. It isn't a traditional home for people who want to be spoon fed. It's not somewhere, if you're a graduate, uh, you have to be quite, um, entrepreneurial 
Um, it, it's a different, so even now when I talk to people that I recruited um, who were three or five years into their career, they had an appetite to do things in a different way and um, that wasn't a sort of big company feel. Whereas there are plenty of people, it's horses for courses, isn't it? You, but these people are harder to find and you take more risk with them because they also might be flighty. <laughs> they might not do what you want them to do <laughs> when you've got them, but they might be worth the effort. They might be uh, real pearls when you find them. People rarely do what they want them to, to do. That's the, <laughs> that's the bane so of my life. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you're, you're sort of dealing in a, in, a, in a service or a product of the person you know, that, that can say no when you've, uh, when you've actually found a really good opportunity for them. So, yeah, it's, uh, that's always tricky. Funny enough, you, you mentioned... Um, you know, writing to people and, you know, what graduates are doing right now. I, I spent most of last week uh, helping the University of Westminster. I did a sort of series of webinars for them, for their, I think it's their architectural graduates. And um, we had a sort of panel of people. In fact, I'm, I'm hoping to have a few of them on the show, actually, uh, a panel of employers. And it was interesting how they were saying exactly the same thing to, to the students was reach out to us. You know, people in senior leadership roles were saying, reach out to us, even the graduates, have something intelligent to say, write me a note that demonstrates why you would want to join our company after you've done some clever research that, that demonstrates that you know something about us. And that will get my attention. I will, I, I, you know, I'll probably spend, you know, five minutes with you for a coffee and that's how you can move it forward. And I think that is true for, <clears throat> for everyone really that's looking, you know, do some clever research and then make some direct approaches because actually most people don't do that. Most people just think I'll look uh, online and there will be, I'll hope to find a job that fits me, but I, I'm not sure that that model works anymore. Oh, I don't think it ever really worked. So, I mean, when you asked me to come and do this podcast, it really made me stop and think about how I've got my jobs. And apart from my time at Steer which came through a, a headhunter. Um, I don't know, maybe. No, I think every single one was a direct approach. So my first job as a graduate, I worked for a small, very small uh, consultancy business that was an in-house consultancy for what was the BET group, uh, United Transport. Um, they had some overseas bus operations that they were trying to divest and two guys, they had two managers, leaders who uh, took me on as their graduate. They needed a bag carrier. So I, I was lucky enough. I worked in Malawi. I worked in Kenya. I worked in Zimbabwe while we got rid of these buses. In fact, some of those bus operations went to Stagecoach. Um, so that was kind of a very... That was entirely through writing to people through the Institute of Transport. Actually, I used my network through having joined a, a network. Um, second job, I got made redundant from that. Um, understandably, their business wasn't that successful. Um, they both became very successful independent consultants, which I think suited them better. Second job, I actually got through The Economist. So that's probably the only time I've applied for a job and, and been interviewed and got it. I was quite cheap at that stage. It was the second <laughs> job out of university. Um, third job, through my network, joined what was a very early days of women in transport um, through the DFT, went to a couple of meetings, met some interesting people, and one of them worked at Atkins. So I wrote to her and said, interested in doing more transport, that I was quite frustrated about that I wasn't doing as much transport as I wanted. 
got introduced to the MD, got hired. Uh, third job, a fourth job through recruitment through a headhunter. Um, I had just kind of papered the house really and wrote to a number of people saying I'm looking for another job. I'd taken a year out to do a master's at that point and then was looking. Then I uh, went to the World Bank and that was um, seven or eight years later. So I was mid-30s by that stage. And uh, that was through my network. So I went through some life changes. Um, I don't know what you life events, isn't that? Life events. events. Um, And um, thought I was going to live overseas and uh, wanted to be an independent consultant. And I'd done a lot of World Bank work previously. Through that network, I went over to Washington, spent some time with different task managers with a view to getting independent consultancy work. And then they wrote to me and said, we really want you to apply for a full-time job. So just through that network, I did some brown bag lunch, um, lunchtime seminars. They call them brown bag lunches over there. You take your sandwiches in your brown bag and listen to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was again through the network. When I came back to the UK through my network, got the job with Booze. Um, so just put the word out to people that I'd worked with um, that I was thinking of coming back. Of course, that came back terrible timing, recession. 2010, I came back. It was such a shocker <laughs> of a time. And then I got the job with um, SNC Lavalan again, entirely through my network. Um, just said, oh, you know, some, in fact, they kind of courted me, and it was just happy chance that Booze were getting rid of their transport team. It was moving to Lee Fisher. I didn't particularly want to go to Lee Fisher, so I went. I went and took this other opportunity. So it is important to find ways of increasing your network because um, you don't really know where it's going to, to lead you. And, to, and, you know, industry networks, CIHT, if you're in transport, or CILT, go to events, um, find topics you're interested in. I think there's something about being interested as well that, you know, mm. it's not, it's not um, you've got to be authentic about it. Yep. In this in this seminar uh, webinar for for the for the students, we were we were basically saying start build invest in your network now. Start now because oh, yeah. it, it, just as you've described, Marianne, virtually everyone I've spoken to in this series of, of of podcasts has said, you know, the network is all important. It's what delivers uh, the roles. It delivers the difference. Um, it's it's you know where you get the information that nobody else has got, uh, and and you know the crucially you're, you you can actually even create roles that don't that otherwise did not exist. Um, they exist because you talk to them and you you know demonstrate your passion and your interest in what they're doing, and they think we need this person on board. Let's create a job that fits them, which I think is a much better way of of you know landing your next role than than. Uh, than trying to squeeze into a box that maybe you don't fit into too neatly. So um, the network is 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 all important. I think both, you know, both sides for you as a hiring manager recruiting, uh, and for you know if, if you are to make a move um, when you're a job seeker, your network is important there as well. I think what's interesting around that is um, that the network is um, you're networking not necessarily with an agenda. You know, mm. so it's it's not a transaction. It's a, an investment in future um, in relationships. Mm. Um, people, 
as someone who recruits, I see through people who want to see you, you know, who see you as a potential employer. And there's something slightly unpalatable about that. Whereas if you connect because you're, you've got a mutual interest or you've got mm. something, you're bringing something interesting to the discussion, it's a much more um, equal, uh, it's much more interesting, it's more fun, it's more enjoyable to be in that process rather than, um, I somewhat dread actually the five, I've got five CVs, I've got to read them, I've got to do the interviews, the line, line up, line up, whereas mm. I'd much rather meet somebody and connect with them and then go, actually, you'd be really good in my business. The other point is, um, specifically for professional services, we're in the enviable position where we don't always recruit to a role. Mm. You find someone good who has something to offer, who has the right competencies, particularly for consultancy, and I'm very, very passionate about consultancy having specific skills, um, you find space for them because you're not in a numbers game. The more people, is the model is so simple. It's people times billable hours times fee rate. So if you can if you can sell them, you want them in your business. You don't want somebody else having them. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's the reason I recruit in that sector. You know, I, I always thought, who who needs you know what business model needs more people to make more money? And of course, it's you know consulting is is the, is one of the obvious ones. So um, you know you always felt that there was an opportunity to make a placement because you know if your company wants to grow uh, and become more uh, profitable, they, they need to recruit more people who are also of a higher quality. So that that was always what drove me into those sectors. But I think it it, it is I'm finding it's true in other areas as well where you know, I think business owners hiring managers they are receptive to opportunity they do react well to opportunity uh, that are presented to them in the right way and you know if you think of yourself as somebody that uh, adds value to the business you can demonstrate how you do that then you become an opportunity that they can only say no you know if, if at worst they say no um, but often if you do if you do that uh, introduction well and you demonstrate your value i always find good people will refer you then to other people that they know that might be looking. And and that's how you get that insider knowledge that you just don't get by doing an internet search on a job board. You know, you're seeing what everyone else sees then. I think, um, I think that's absolutely right. So the number of CVs, I'm just trying, I couldn't give you the numbers of how many successful candidates this has turned into, but it was part of my job every week. Somebody would flip me a CV and say, Oh, you know, I've been chatting to Bob or Jane or, Padma and they are uh, they're looking um, they're coming back to the UK they've just done 10 years in Australia or whatever and here's their experience. can you use them they'd be I think they'd be really good and because somebody you know has recommended them mm. um, you give them more than that 40 second whatever the average is and people look at CVs before deciding um, and if you can't use them uh, if I couldn't use them or couldn't see how I could monetize, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty callous, but it basically you've got to be able to sell people. You can't have people sitting on the bench, you, especially expensive people. So senior, when we're talking at the director level, associate director, mm. director level, they can't come in and be on the bench for six months. They've got to kind of earn their keep almost straight away. If I couldn't use them, though, I'd find somewhere else. You know, I'd pass it on um, because if you have somebody good, or I'd, I'd go, oh, actually, I might be able to use it. And then my job is to run, ring around and say, do you know these people? Does anybody Has anybody got any insight into these people? Um, because, yeah, there are also a lot of people who crop up and you you don't necessarily want to take them on. So you've got to find the right 
people. You've got to do your own due diligence on that. So I'm curious. So I know this is meant to be about me, which I'm yeah, no, go for happy it. <laughs> to be talking about me. But, mm. but um, do you find that our millennial, I hate to kind of categorise, but are less able or less willing to engage in personal contact so they like being able to do it because you you know you kind of I mean we see it on the telly the adverts for apps to be able to get your cv out there and 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 I so I certainly know and the reason I ask that is that I've got two stepdaughters they're in their late teens early 20s they literally hate having personal contact they do everything through their phone so I'm, is that? Do you see it's, that? Yeah, it's an interesting point. So when I was doing the, I, I put together this presentation for the for the students at um, at the University of Westminster, and I made the point. <laughs> I found myself. I was on shaky ground, to be fair. Uh, but I, <laughs> I often say, which is not shaky ground. I always say re- recruitment is a bit like dating. Uh, I'm on shaky ground because I've been married for 16 years, so I have no, you know, what I know about dating. You could write on the back of a, you know, uh, a stamp, I guess. But from what I hear from my sort of friends is that, you know, that activity has gone online and you've got these things like Tinder where you're, you know, constantly uh, uh, sort of opportunities are being presented to you, let's say, and you decide whether you like them or not and these sorts of things. And I, and I, I actually went down that route with them and said, you know, think of LinkedIn as your your recruitment dating app. It's similar. You see people, you decide whether you want to connect with them. And in, in your case, you know, you're growing a network online. And I think a lot of a lot of the millennials are happier doing that. I think that's the way it's gone. You know, in the old days, you actually had to physically meet somebody. You pass them a business card. Uh, you had to keep it in a Rolodex. You had to remember people. Now it is through LinkedIn a very online activity. And of course, the the point I was making to these guys as well is that. It's not, you know, people uh, do not just connect with people that they know anymore. They connect with people that they they make a value judgment on based on their their profile. So if you're in the same space, it makes sense to connect. You know, if, if for you, if people from a transport consulting background or a wider transport uh, background are, are connecting with you, you might connect with them because you think, well, that's great. That grows my network. There might be something we do together at some point in the future. So... Uh, I, I, I think I don't have enough. I have two two children myself who are, I guess, are millennials, but and and I certainly think that they are, you know, online orientated. I haven't done enough recruitment with the young people. Uh, I, I tend to to do a lot with the senior guys, but my friends and colleagues who do say that yeah, they're you know, they are very um, orientated towards apps and things like that, and they prefer that, um, and that seems to. You know that's fine because that's how it how how you can connect. There's so much more uh, uh, opportunity to connect, but then it, a hu- a recruitment is a human to human interaction, mm. and you need you need those personable skills. That's what makes a difference. Um, and we, again, we were trying to sort of get people to realise that uh, in 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 University of Westminster that it is a human interaction, and the more human you can be the more likely you, success you're going to get out of that interaction. So I think that's really interesting because we've gone sort of full circle. First saying it's around our network and who we can connect with and how to make a difference. So employers are saying, right to me, find something interesting. So you've got to stand out from the crowd. So yes. connecting of itself is not enough. No, it's not so, enough. No way. So enough. I'm actually possibly outside the bell curve. My husband's always telling me I'm outside the bell curve, but but in this particular instance, I connect with people on LinkedIn who I know. 
Mm. So, or who have one connection that I do know. So they are connected to somebody, um, that, you know, so I feel like there's a referral. Mm. Um, so I think, um, when you're in a world where people have, if you're on Instagram, you have thousands of followers and you follow thousands of people, that doesn't mean I'm going to phone up Jay-Z and ask him for a job because I don't have a relationship with him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it, it's, it's how do you move um, if you're looking for a job? And I think it's actually at all levels, but possibly more in the less experienced candidate level is you've got to move that relationship from being a connection to being a relationship. Yeah, absolutely right. And funny enough, I, I went through this in, in the presentation because that, that's exactly my view is that the, the connection is a starting point. It's an opportunity then to move further, but of course it's, it's, it's worthless in its own, uh, on its own. Mm. Um, I always say the next thing you should do when you connect with somebody is send them a, a, a welcome message because so few people do that. And that, that marks you out a little bit from, everyone else who, who isn't doing that. But then you go further. And in fact, I, I talked a lot about this idea of no like, and trust. So there's a guy called Bob Berg came up with this, this sort of idea that uh, people do business with and, and refer business to people that they know, like, and trust, which I really like. And I've, I've uh, appropriated it and changed it to sort of say, look, you know, um, people um, hire people or refer people to jobs that they know, like, and trust. So what you need to go through is this this no like and trust process. And if you're if you're connected to somebody, say on LinkedIn, you're at that very early stage of knowing them. You don't really know them, but you, you you're now aware of them, and you can build uh, uh, that awareness up by interacting with them. So, for instance, you know I make a point that you know most people online. Uh, on any of the social platforms, they don't get much traction. You know, they uh, most people they might post something, they might share something. Um, if you like that, or more and more appropriately, if you comment on it, mm -hmm. particularly asking a question, you become highly visible to that person because nobody's, you know, even relatively successful people with a big network aren't getting loads and loads of comments. They read each one. Everybody does. It's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's how we're all programmed, you know, you, it, and, and LinkedIn, uh, uh does that, it, it, it makes you aware that somebody's commented. So you read it and uh, so it's a really good way of getting hold of people. And then I argue that don't just do that on one platform. Some people, you know, that are on LinkedIn and they're posting there, they're posting on say Twitter also, and then they're, they're also not getting many likes and shares and comments. So you can become more known to a person by doing that. And then if you have something intelligent to say, you know, imagining that you want to work for them and, and similar to what you were saying, Marianne, about, you know, building that interest, you start to, you know, you ask intelligent questions, you start to help each other a little bit by, you know, referring other people to it and, and making an interesting comment, making uh, something thought provoking that moves you through this sort of to a point where they like you maybe more than they like the next person. The trust element can only really be established at, at interview or through some sort of test or whatever. Um, but you, you can definitely go through this process of no like, and trust, um, by having more interactions with people, but it does, it starts with that initial connection, whether that's, you know, a LinkedIn connection or, or like you're suggesting sending a letter to somebody that's, that's the spark. You've then got to follow that through with more, uh, interaction, but it works. I think LinkedIn is, I mean, it's, um, 
is uh, that's absolutely right i mean the beauty of linkedin as a business social media it's not it's not quite social media in that the same way but it's a business i like that i like it because it's business focused um mm. uh, and it's a platform where i i don't use it as a recruiting tool um other people <laughs> in my previous roles other people have done that for me mm. but um i do use it to interact with people and create relationships and um and i think it does that uh, very successfully so my also my advice is um there is nothing more frustrating if you are recruiting um, at almost any level actually um because what do we all do when we first get a name or a cv is you stalk them on on the internet right absolutely <laughs> absolutely that's <laughs> so the first thing if you come up and you i tend to not even bother putting them in Google. I go straight into LinkedIn. If you have not got a good profile in LinkedIn, and I mean a good profile. So if you are a bit crap at your LinkedIn profile, then I that for me is now, and, and this is very shallow, and there'll be lots of people who disagree with that because it's you do meet, when you meet people, you have different opinions. But if I can't find out more information about you and your work, um, or your interests in 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 terms of that work. Um, so I have two things. I I my brand. Mine's a very conscious personal brand issue, but it's not unauthentic. In that there are things I'm passionate about. So occasionally people will see posts that I do about the craft beer industry, and I'm part of a group called Crafty Beer Girls, which is a, a um, uh, women transgender non-binary. Sp- group that we meet in london once a month when we could now we do it online which has actually mm. been brilliant because it now increases our our reach and we deal with sexism sexism in the industry promoting female brewers um it's for me it's great sort of reverse mentoring because most of them are under 35 uh, very passionate but i will post around that because it's something i'm interested in um, and it's something that I think is there are parallels in my industry, which is also very male dom- dominated and it's very innovative. It's very agile. We're seeing different business models come up as a result. Of it. So I post about that, but I also post about my industry stuff and I post about my business and I post about other people and I support other people. If you're not doing that, if I can't see that when I'm looking at you as a potential candidate, then I get a bit I kind of go, oh, he's not, he or she is not putting enough effort in it. It's very judgmental, but I want to see more. I want to get more information before I actually meet you face to face. That's what we all do. I, I, again, I keep stressing this to people is, you know, in, as a hiring manager in your situation, as a recruiter in my situation, um, you know, if we, if we come across you in any way, we check you out. We do our initial sort of low level due diligence straight away, which is almost always now a LinkedIn um, mm. check first because actually it dominates the, uh, the, the even the Google al- algorithm now if you look if you try and look for anyone yeah. who isn't super famous it comes up with a LinkedIn profile almost almost as the first the first hit and when you look at the profile you make a value judgment as you've just pointed out that's what everybody does so the more you know a, a richer profile with more interesting things on perhaps more connections to you you know as yeah. you say people that are that you know it's that no like and trust by sort of separation if you like oh i they know somebody that i know like and trust and therefore that's you know a, a plus point uh, for them all of that is a is a sort of you know ongoing value judgment so uh, you know i'm always saying to people it, it needs to be 
rich, up to date. Um, you know, you need to have something decent intelligent photo. that you're saying that yeah. Decent photo, not a picture of you down the pub with your mates or on a yeah. ski slope or with sunglasses on, as my mother is always telling me off for having photos with sunglasses. But yeah. it's gotta be, you know, professional. You you've got to think about how you want to come across. It's mm. a much more conscious thing. Um, and obviously, you know, there are have been terrible disappointments when you've seen people and you thought they were absolutely brilliant and then they rock up at the interview and they, for whatever reason, they don't meet your expectations. Um, and there are also, it works the other way, there could be people who are relatively unsighted. But it's much harder, to, if you are unsighted on those kind of platforms, it's much harder. Yeah, you're not, you're not, visi- you're not visible. And, yeah. and you mentioned personal brand which i again in fact in in my course it's one of the one of the the key modules is you know i argue that anybody who's on linkedin has the starting point of a personal brand and it's just whether you're investing in that or not and and you know i know it's a bit of a one of these sort of areas personal brand we're not you know we're not all sure what we mean by that but really it's just this is me um and if there's nothing there that's a red flag to us all as high in the hiring industry you're thinking well this person's not networked they're not connected that's a negative um if there is something there then you are making a value judgment on it and you're saying oh you know okay that you, like you say on even a really basic level the picture is of that person and it looks professional um you know professional headshot but then you're you know you're looking through the profile and and seeing if it you know, if you've got a CV, whether you're always sort of cross-matching it a little bit with that to make sure that it's roughly in the same space. The great thing about LinkedIn is you've got so much more space than you have on your CV. So you can bring out some of the interesting projects that you've worked on. You can have something interesting to say. You can publish. And, you know, I think there's near 600 million people on LinkedIn, about a million of them publish. So you immediately stand out if you're doing that. If you're publishing, I was, in fact, I was saying to the students, uh, look, you've just done a dissertation, ten thousand words. You're now an expert on something. Um, are you publishing on that? Because your 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 dissertation is going to go the same place mine did, which is onto a shelf in a library that nobody ever looks at. Uh, wouldn't it be better if you took excerpts and you know publish that on LinkedIn, start a conversation around that, and people like you, Marianne, may well or people that recruit for you will might find them if they were, for, for instance, uh, you know, some sort of transport experts and they had something interesting to say on that subject um, because they had done a dissertation on it. Um, that might be a route for them to find their next job, and that's 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 an open route for everyone. Mm. Yes, and then the use of um, calling out people in your network or hashtags, etc., mm. are other ways. I mean, there's so many similarities between selling yourself and selling your consultancy in my case consultancy so the approach for for bd for for me and i'm finding that now as i'm out out on my own is that there are you know i'm i'm having to think as consciously about this as i would about recruitment or or being recruited um and uh, so i think yes the use of those platforms is is vital and and there's so many tutorials online to find out how to do it better. There's, mm. there's your course, obviously, but it you know it, it's not it's not difficult. And the other thing around personal brand, I think people tend to see it. Maybe it's a British thing. I don't know. I'm not sure my colleagues in the states would feel the same. But it's a bit of a pejorative statement. There's nothing wrong with building your personal brand um, it, as long as it's authentic. As long as it really says something about you, and you're not kind of trying to 
promote what you think other people want you to be and you can't deliver on that. It's, it's got mm. to be around um, yourself and what, what you find interesting. You, you will get found out very quickly. That's what probation periods are for. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, yes, it is. But, you know, so you've really got to think about what's important and how you engage with people. Um, but it is important to do it. And I mean, brutally, I'm I'm late to the party on this because I did it. Um, I built my personal brand on LinkedIn because um, going back to our uh, first point of, um, when we were talking was. Um, my employer had such a grip on our corporate marketing that my little boutique management consultancy business couldn't make itself seen outside of um, in amongst all the big construction projects. They just wouldn't allow us to have a website. They wouldn't allow us to put our, you know, none of our press releases of winning piddly little jobs. These weren't multi-million dollar LRT schemes. So we made a conscious effort um, and a decision that it would sit behind personal brand the way that we could we could make ourselves known and see bigger than we were was to post as ourselves because there was nothing against us posting posting personal stuff and that actually inadvertently delivered personal brand uh, for me and now my uh, you've probably seen my following on linkedin is is pretty big um, yeah but, but you can build it and that's that's you know build it and they will come sort of argument. Yeah. I think that's, everyone should be doing it, uh, you know, regardless, even if they're, you know, looking for a role because um, it's now part of the, the new way of working as, yeah, as you point acceptable. out, it is, it is, it is. Yeah. You know, it's, it's how you promote what you're doing. It's how you uh, win work, as you say, um, it's how you market your business. It's how you market yourself. So um, yeah, it's, it's uh it's really a, a sort of fundamental cornerstone now. I, I say LinkedIn is a cornerstone of your personal brand, and I think it is. Um, and I think it's you know, it's a really important thing to invest some time and effort in. And and like you say, you can go from zero to hero quite quickly in in doing that if you uh, if you take a bit of advice and and you know, a, a consistent and persistent with it. Mm. Um, yeah. Look, Marianne, I have taken lots of your time, and you've you've made some very interesting points. I don't want to uh, I don't want to take uh, all of your day off you, so I will thank you very much for your time, and um, you know, really, really, really appreciate it. No, uh, no problem at all. It was uh, interesting. It really made me stop and think about how I both uh, looked for work and um, looked for uh, staff. So it was, uh, yeah, it was good to remind myself of what that journey's been. So, so thanks for for asking me. It was great. No problem. I hope to speak to you soon. All the best. See you later. Take care. So there you have it. Uh, An interesting discussion with Marianne, particularly around personal brand, actually, and something that I I talk a lot about in my course, which is uh, available via uh, www.careermovesecrets.com, where you can also find uh, the Job Search Masterclass as well. Really where you're, you're trying to use your, your, stake on and uh, profile on LinkedIn to attract the right type of people to come and look at you. And of course, that's something you would want to do if you were looking for a job right now, which you may well be. So uh, yes, please do invest a little bit of time and effort in your personal brand. Um, it is something that you need to, uh, to, to put some work into on LinkedIn. Um, and if you are enjoying these podcasts, please think about subscribing because there will be more Career Move Secrets podcasts coming very soon.